Blog Talk Radio. to talk about today 
on the show. And a lot to think about. So continue contemplating the opening question. Uh, a little more about Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live has been on the air now for almost four and a half years. And what we try to do is share a little bit about what's going on here locally and nationally. Uh, Our Own Voices Live is a spinoff of Our Own Voices, the print and digital magazine. And with its main purpose, African-American, African history and culture, and for African-Americans to learn about it themselves as well as hear about other cultures out there different than ours, whoever we may be. And one of the ways we do that is with the magazine, web page, Facebook, all social media, Twitter. We have videos on YouTube. Uh, we're even on Google+. Plus. I'm trying to get a handle on Pinterest, still working on it. And uh, Our One Voices Live is a radio show featuring people and stories from our communities in Las Vegas, the surrounding area, and someplace near you. America is the greatest country on earth due to its cultural diversity and not in spite of it. Our mission is to help bridge the cultural and ethnic divide in America by working together to build the greatest bridge in history to unite us. And some of those vehicles that I mentioned earlier is how we go about doing it. But there's nothing else that really can replace meeting people face-to-face, sharing, being able to look into another person's eyes, to see their facial expressions and body language. And we've even broadened it from media to doing it the old-fashioned way. Every Friday at the West Side Bistro, unless otherwise notified, and on days when the bistro is not open, it's at TC's Root Crib. Here in Las Vegas, we gather. We call it the gathering because that's what we do is we collect, we gather together. And it's people from the community, various social economic statuses, just people, y'all, just people. And we get together, we break bread, and we talk about issues. Uh, sometimes it's just giving information. One of the ones that I liked the most about that was just informative was our estate planning uh, chats that we had. Uh, we also talked about business ownership. We talked about uh, personal uh, responsibilities, education, health, fitness, it runs the gambit. Yesterday at the gathering, we were blessed to have uh, Anthony Springer and uh, Tanisha Martin come out to the gathering and share how they came up with the Las Vegas protests and rallies, uh, the, the hashtag I Can't Breathe, protest and rally. And it was really a great experience, one, because we, we always enjoy getting new people, and the people, it's not always the same people. We have sort of a core group, and then other people come and go. We expand, we shrink, but ultimately we are growing. And to have these young people there, the enthusiasm and the energy that led up to them getting involved, now, for me, that was enough all by itself, and what a great way to start out the gatherings of this new year. But then to see that it was a black woman 
and a black man working together, doing something that they tell us that just doesn't happen today. That was power. But then at last week's gathering, we heard that the spark, you mentioned the spark because John Brown said that we needed a spark to change where we were prior to the Civil War to bring about freedom of the slaves. We still need a spark today sometimes to get us going. Well, the spark for this young lady was her daughter. Seeing what happened on television with Mike Brown, Eric Garner, and asking a very simple and basic question. Mom, what can we do? Is there anything we can do? What can we do, Mom? Is there anything we can do? Those words were the spark that launched Miss Martin into action. And before you knew it, with some phone calls and some social media actions, we had the Las Vegas I Can't Breathe protests, march, rallies, and sit-ins. Very reminiscent of the things that happened back to the civil rights movement. One of the topics today is we're going to talk about Selma, you know, it's the 50th anniversary, and also the release of Selma, the movie. Hopefully you all are going to go, will go out and see that. And then we want to talk about the marches today and how and can they have the same effect as the marches of yesterday. So we want to talk about that. The actual title of our show is NAACP Under Attack, Selma and Today's Marches, Empire, and Dr. King Vigil. And Dr. King Vigil is the annual Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Candlelight Vigil that we, held, that we hold right here in North Las Vegas, uh, sponsored and hosts yours truly and the whole Our Own Voices Network. Uh, my co-host, uh, who will be coming on in just a second, Mrs. Angel Thomas, helps out with that. Uh, DJ G mans the ones and twos and provides the sound system. Usually the Eastern Stars will bring out some water or some chairs or something. Uh, uh, the Sigmas. You know, those brothers, as a matter of fact, big shout-out to the Sigmas. They're celebrating their Founders Day. Uh, they usually come out every year and help out. Uh, the sisters from Delta, they, the Deltas, they come in and help out. The Zetas, you know, it's a community event, a community affair, and it's so good to see so many people from the community come out to help. Well, this year's event, we're trying to sort of merge the – candlelight vigil, but also put a little youthfulness in it, but bring about unity with the folks who are hosting some of these marches and protests will hopefully be there. So the name of our show today, NAACP Under Attack, Selma and Today's Marches, Empire, a new TV show. Does that? Is it just entertainment or is there a danger in this show in furthering the stereotype of African-Americans? A lot of opinions given yesterday at the gathering, of course, of Dr. King Vigil. And I want to go back to that NAACP attack. Do you all know that a local NAACP office is suspected of being bombed? 
you know, we had a whole lot of talk about the terrorism in France, and rightfully so, it should have been talked about. But what about the potential terrorist attack right here at a local NAACP office? We're going to talk about that too. But before we do, this show could not be and would not have ever existed had it not been for this wonderful young lady, my co-host with the mostest, Mrs. Angela Thomas. Welcome to the show, Angela. Hey, Rodney. Uh, thanks for the warm welcome. Once again, we're back on the air. It's Saturday. It must be 1230. Yes. So, you know, time for our own <laughs> <Yes>. voices live. <laughs> Uh, yes, because we did have a little snafu last week and we didn't get on until 1 o'clock. So, uh, yeah, that was last on, week. Uh, and time. And so, our time. Usual, and what, what, do you have, what did you have going on this week? I know you have your, your your hands in a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And when it comes to what's going on in the media uh, and the uh, TV, television, pop culture world, you are it. So anything happened that you want to share with us from this week? Well, this week? You're a Las Vegan. The rest of the world knows. We kick it, kick off our new year with CES. And, yes, I got by there one day and, you know, for a couple of hours played with all the latest and greatest. Uh, for me, CES was about uh, technology, what technology means to you personally. It was It was all about personal gadgets that you wear on your person or um, a lot of robots also. Drones were big as well. But I was very Im- impressed with the robots. Uh, personal, uh, they had robots that were serving as news anchors. They had robots that are being programmed to uh, empathize and, you know, help you in your household. Um, a lot of gadgets used to help you be better in your athletic endeavors. There's a a device that you can put on your bat or your tennis racket or your racket, your racquetball racket, uh, and it helps you with your swing. I thought it was super awesome. Um, I love softball, loved it from a kid, but to uh, be able to digitally see where you're off, where your swing is off, is amazing to me. And it uh, also served to um, show you how to swing like various athletes, what to what to pull back from, what to put more into. So, you know, it was pretty interesting at CES, as usual. And for those of you who may not know, CES is the an annual... Uh, convention and conference here in Las Vegas. It stands for the Consumer Electronics Show. At one point, and maybe still is, I'm not sure, it was the biggest of its type in the world. Uh, still is. If you wanted to the biggest and the, the best. latest, greatest, and the best. Now, Angela, you know, normally TV and phone are kind of like the big talk. Uh, was there anything new, different, better, or that got your attention about televisions or or the new phones or is it pretty much the same old thing? Well, I think they've blown them up as big as they could get them. They've gotten a resolution about as, I mean, it, the actors are pretty practic, pretty much practically in your living room. 
so this year to me the the pronunciation of the of the cell phones and the TV have they kind of took a, a little bit of a side seat for the personal tech gadgets and um various technologies that we will be using around our houses uh, as I said before to help you in your athletic endeavors just all about technology and how it has improved how it can be used to improve your life style now you mentioned something that is near and dear to me and that's those personal fitness gadgets I use yeah. a Fitbit uh, sort of bracelet type thing mm-hmm. and I also uh, and I use the Fitbit app when I walk I also use map my fitness when I go out and walk and mm-hmm. uh, I've been even taking my pulse before and after, which is gives you some really there's a really good a bunch of good apps out there. Now, one of the things I had wanted to do is I wanted to get the iWatch whenever they decide to release it because it you know it's a watch, it's sort of like a telephone integration. Uh, it has all of the fit monitoring, blood pressure, heart rate type stuff that's in there. Of course, they haven't released it yet. It costs three hundred and fifty dollars. So I need mm-hmm. to save up a little bit anyway, so this is giving me time. But did they have anything else out Did they even talk about the iWatch? And did they have anything else out there that rivals the iWatch? A lot of rivals. Lot, lots of uh, interesting technology to be worn around your wrist and on your person somewhere to help keep you not just fitness, but uh, a lot is being done with technology as far as your safety is concerned. Uh, I saw a couple of gadgets that were being introduced where uh, they were promoting it for it to be worn by young people to help, you know, keep them safe, keep them keep their parents abreast of where they are and, and what's going on with them. So mm. very I don't interesting. I young people may care so Ready much for that. for that one. <laughs> uh, yeah. They may not want to have that one. Yeah, they really promoted it for uh, safety, uh, elderly care. They also use it to promote elderly care. If you have a person in your life that may be struggling with Alzheimer's and, you know, forgetting where they are or or just to help you keep better track of where they are. Um, it was being marketed as that as well. You know, now, now that's really good news. Uh, and, and here's a little tip. I saw this on TV yesterday and from personal experience, as, as Angela mentioned, Alzheimer's. One indication of a person having Alzheimer's, we know about memory loss and things like that, but something that can kind of key you off whether you uh, were thinking about that already or something just things happen that makes you pause. And and that's if a person continuously loses their key, their wallet, and their glasses. Now, we mm. know we all look for our glasses and they wind up being right on our face, right? We, we know that happens on occasion, so that's not maybe that big of a deal. But when you put those things together, especially those keys and the wallet, because most people, as they've matured, they realize that if I put my, if I hang my keys up right here, right by the refrigerator or by the door or wherever, that I'll know those keys are there all the time. If I put my wallet right in this particular place, every time I take it out of my pocket or my my pocketbook, it's going to be there. You learn that over time. 
We wish our children would learn that quicker. But right. for adults, especially our, our elderly, our senior adults, those are some tips to look for, especially when you find them in the oddest places. And on the commercial, they, they show a woman looking for her keys, and her husband is looking in the refrigerator to get something to eat or drink. And as he's moving stuff around, he finds her keys. He in finds the, refrigerator. the keys, yeah. Well, I've seen that's that obviously not normal. And that that is obviously maybe may some exaggeration, but then again, it, there's probably a lot of truth in that because my mother, uh, she had dementia, and it was a constant search for keys, constant, every, every day. Uh, before I was able to go and see about her and check on her myself, Every day she was looking, or at least every other day, we, we spoke every day, but at least every other day she was looking for her keys. Mm-hmm. And I I just couldn't figure out what was going on with those keys. Something else for us was she was constantly doing paperwork. And I was thinking, Mom, you're retired. What kind of paperwork are you doing? And she was constantly doing paperwork. So when I went to New York to check on her, I'm expecting to see these mounds of papers that she's been storing for years because I, I knew she had done that, that she was mm-hmm. going through finally getting rid of. And it turned out not to be not so much. And that was when it really kind of piqued my curiosity and then the key thing and the phone calls, and et cetera, et cetera. So I'm glad that they're doing something with that because Alzheimer's, when you lose your memory, you lose yourself. And I don't think that we pay enough attention to that. And I'm going to encourage Absolutely. all of you to go out there and make as many good and positive memories as you can for yourself, with yourself, with your loved one, those closest to you. Because when you get older and you're, uh, when you mature and maybe some of the things that you used to do when you were younger, you're not able to do, having those memories helps get you through. And also as Memory loss is a natural stage of aging. The more memories that you have as you slowly lose them, the more that you have to lose before you lose yourself. So that's just, uh, I guess, a little side thing. But I'm glad to know that they they came out with stuff like that. Now, my issue with, with Fitbit, it works well, and they have some new designs that are out. But the ones I have is the Fitbit Flex. And, Angela, I've gone through, like, three or four bands already. Wow. As, Why as so many? Fact, Are they breaking? I had a, yeah, they're just breaking. And wow. I ordered uh, I ordered two more. And I said, this is the last two I'm ordering. Because I just mm-hmm. ordered two more right before, I think, Thanksgiving. Uh, Thanksgiving. Wow. And those are broke already. And that was after having some prior to that. And one of them That's that was very broken, frustrating, I'm one, sure. Well, one that was broken, the first one that was broken was the one that my mother used to wear, and that was my little sort of connection with her. Uh, mm-hmm. So that obviously didn't make me feel well at all. So contacted them, and now they're going to send. They're going to send me four. So that will give me a total of six. They're going to send me four for free. I'd already ordered two. They're going to send me a total, so I'll have a total of six. At the, at the rate of breakage, six should last me 12 weeks. So I should get roughly three months out of this, and I sure hope by the end of that three months that they'll have the uh, either the 
the iWatch for the new Fitbit. I think it's called the Fitbit Charge HR, and it's very uh-huh. close to an iWatch at about half the price. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. That's rough. That's a lot of breakage. My goodness. Uh, yes, yeah, so but, right now my steps are not being counted. So for those of you who are friends with me in the Fitbit world, I'm still getting my walk on. It's just that I'm not, my Fitbit not logging it. Yeah. Yeesh, that's tough. But yes, uh, CES was wonderful again. I wish I had had more time to spend and um, see some of the <laughs> amazing technology that we have coming. Coming out, um, the biggest news in TV with the TVs, Rodney, was the price drop. And me and my husband Michael can attest to that. Last last January, we took a trip to Fry's to buy something else, and happened. Of course, you can't go into one of those stores and and not look at the new TVs. But last right, January, right. we saw the 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 Sony 4K sitting right there for ten thousand plus dollars, and we were like, wow. $10,000 on a TV. That's a lot of money. But this is amazing. This is a, this is an amazing television. I mean, it, you look at it and you hear the sound quality, but watching it was literally like watching. You, I thought they were uh, filming Law & Order right there in front of us. It was so crystal clear. Um, <clears throat> and then the Curve television, uh, I forget who, Samsung, Samsung's Curve Television was right across from it, uh, a little more than $10,000. And before January 1st of this year, we saw the same Sony 4K. Well, we saw 4K technology. It wasn't the Sony. Uh, We saw the the, uh, Samsung 4K television for $1,500. We couldn't believe it. And that was before January 1st. So in less than a year, if you bought the, the Sony 4K for $10,000, you were really uh, pissed because the TV in a matter of 11 months, 10, 10, 11 months, came down that much. You know, one of the things that makes you think of is uh, what's going to be next in television because when they came out with the uh, high-definition uh, 1080p LED I, when I saw that TV, and you know, then they had, you know, they had the plasmas and and the LCDs before that. I thought mm-hmm. those were pretty awesome because I was still walking. You know, I still had my TV with what what the young people used to call. I had my big booty TV. You know, with all that tube <laughs> in the back. All that back on the back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, black people must have made the TV because uh, had all of that <laughs> junk in the trunk. But that's a TV, and that's. But actually, the TV I'm still rocking in my bedroom. But I did yeah, get the, uh, the 1080p LED 3D big screen that's real thin. I do have one of those, and uh, I love watching it because it's the biggest TV I've ever had. Never dreamed of having a TV like that unless I had a few million dollars in my back pocket. And uh, with the surround <laughs> sound, I'm able to sit there, and I feel like, oh, and that bass just kicks but I feel like I'm in the theater, right? Love it, love it. But then I did see the 4K. I saw the curves, and I said, do I want to get, and, you know, that was, uh, you know, shortly after it came out. It was like, do I want to get those? I was like, no. First of all, they cost too much money, and I'm still in awe of the one that I just had. 
And yeah. for you to say that now they have something else, like, well, how long before we just going to get the 3D? Oh, excuse me, not 3D, but the, the uh, hologram. And we're just sitting there watching that. Well, you know, my son-in-law this Christmas, he obtained uh, some sort of virtual technology uh, system for him and my daughter to watch movies with. And so uh, virtual technology, tech, uh, that that was really prominent at CES this year. And, you know, you're looking for what's what's new, what's next. Uh, there are a lot of components coming to enhance your television experience, like virtual reality and, you know, just different uh, audio experiences. Mm. IMAX might be coming to your house real soon. Now, that I do believe. I, I do believe that, and uh, I would uh, definitely want to see that when you get here. But I think that's yeah. going to be awesome. You know, I think Google uh, spent a lot of money on buying one of those virtual technology companies. So what that tells mm-hmm. me is there is going to be some big moves in that area. And, you know, Angela, speaking of technology and TV, there's a new TV show that came on this week called Empire. Yes, and I did not see it, but you I were there did. and we did discuss it at the gathering yesterday, and you and I talked about it a little bit last night. What did you uh, yes. think about that show? Well, for me, it's not for me. I, I didn't care for the show. Um, well, first off, Empire stars Taraji P. Hinton and Terrence Howard. And it is the story of a family, an African-American family that um, makes it big in the music world. Uh, Taraji's character, Cookie, is a mother who served, who after serving 17 years in prison, comes home to find that the $400,000 in drug money that she uh, bestowed upon her her husband partner uh, Terrence Howard uh, has now blossomed into a huge uh, conglomerate based off of uh, the music business. But he's since gone into sports uh, promoting and you know perfume colognes and you know various other things that uh, music entertainers are involved in these days and now he has this huge empire um and they're trying to figure out their way through some real interesting storylines so what did i think of it i thought uh post sony email leaks yeah, it pretty much hit every note that um, was talked about in those emails and, and was talked about on social media about those emails. And I just am at a point myself personally where I'm saying as a person of the arts and a person that 
you know, I can appreciate just about I can I can find something to appreciate in just about every form of art. And I will say that Empire was beautifully shot, but I'm just tired of telling these type of stories. I really am. Okay, now when you say these types of stories, for the folks who may not have seen it, and what type of story is it? It's a gritty urban drama about um, the perception of, of that form. Do you want my explanation of what the show is about or what they say the show is about? I want, uh, I mean, sure, say what they say the show's about, but then There's, tell us what, you know, you, you're the one who's seen it. What did you say? <laughs> well, they say it's about uh, a family who's in the music business that, you know, is trying to entertain us. I say it's just being, <sighs> just enough is enough for me. It's, it's it's pretty stereotypical. It hit every note of what has happened in the news cycle uh, around us, meaning the black community. It's pretty much in that show. If you were on Facebook impassioned about uh, Mr. Rice whooping his child, should corporal punishment is it right? Uh, is it is it what we do? Uh, if you had a viewpoint about that, it was in the show for you. If if you, um, I you know I I just there were several points in the show that were overwhelmingly distasteful for me. Uh, one of the characters that portrays one of the sons t- uh, called Taraji Hinton a bitch. And she, her response was to beat him, beat him pretty viciously with a broom handle. And yeah, hmm, wasn't entertaining to me. Okay, so I'm gonna try to get a look. What I saw of some of the descriptions of the show was that it bought into and played up a lot of stereotypes that are attributed to blacks. And as we have these uh, hashtag hands up, don't shoot, hashtag I can't breathe, marches, protests, and rallies, that it almost exemplifies some of the things that the police officers were saying about black people and why they shoot them. Uh, So, for example, one of the things that we constantly heard was references to black people as animals, as beasts, demonically possessed, menacing. Uh, those are some of the phrases from the various police officers who were involved in some of these shootings. Does this show, uh, Tolerance for Pain, wouldn't go down? Does this show, or this show from what I've heard about it on Facebook and hearing the discussion yesterday, those are some of the images that police officers have, and that's the reason that they use to justify their shootings of many of these uh, unarmed black folks that we uh, have been marching and protesting about in the news. 
but yet we have this show that's just come on Fox that displays black people in some of those stereotypical manners. As an example, there's one scene that I heard about that I, uh, yesterday at the gathering where it talks about his, I believe it's their young child who comes out exhibiting behaviors that are stereotyped to be associated with uh, the LGBT community. And the mm-hmm. father becomes incensed and picks the child up and throws him in a garbage can. Now, and puts the that, lid on it. Absolutely. So doesn't that sort of uh, perpetuate that black heterosexual males are uh, homophobic? And here's an example of how homophobic they are, that they would take their own child and throw them away, uh, not just uh, figuratively, but literally? Um, You know, that scene for me was taken several ways. It was taken that way. It was taken also that that's what black fathers who in high numbers aren't in the household have done with their black sons. They've thrown them away. Take the homosexuality out of it and just look at the image. If I were looking at that without the sound, I would be like, wow, that's kind of harsh. That's hardcore. So are you saying that black men have thrown away their children, their black male children specifically? Well, that is, isn't that what it shows? I mean, we, we can ask that question, but that is what was on the screen. That's that's what was depicted, yes. And I guess the reason why this is important to me, because as we're in this time of marches and protests, and as we're hearing the representation of specifically black men, even though it's not just black men that are being killed by police, it's <clears> black <throat> women, uh, there's white people. Uh, that are killed. Of course, there's some Latino and Hispanics, but the overwhelming numbers are specifically of black men. And the characterization of those black men is different from the characterization, and black people is different from the characterizations as all other people. So let's just be clear, let's put it out on the table, that this really is something that is very big in the black community with uh, police officers. This show coming out mm-hmm. in the time that it did, seems to be, and, and I'm not one that often says, I'm not much into censorship, I'm not much into, well, this is bad for me, so you shouldn't do it. What I say is, they can do it all they want. There's nothing that says that we have to watch it. And maybe the just as disturbing as some for me as some of the imagery from the show is the fact that it's, I think it's Fox's leading hit show right now. Well, it, it is the highest uh, with 12 million viewers that evening. It was it was in the history of Fox. They've never had a premiere um, come that strong. Now, in in um, not defense, but I do want to note that this was one of the most anticipated television shows of the year of of 2014 
So, you know, why? a lot of people why have been waiting. Why was it so anticipated? A lot of people uh, really love the chemistry between Taraji P. Hinton and Terrence Howard. From the they were together uh, in the film uh, Hustle and Flow. So a lot of people, me included, I love their uh, their screen chemistry. I and what just, was Hustle and Flow about? I, I didn't see that. Hustle and Flow was a, a gritty urban drama about a Memphis pimp and his stable of workers. Oh, okay. Wow. Well, of course we would anticipate seeing a show that perpetuate. <laughs> I mean, that continued that storyline. Well, I don't know if it continued that storyline, but it did continue the, the uh, Taraji and Terrence screen chemistry. And that's what a lot of people, that's why, that's one reason why a lot of people were uh, anticipating. This was a highly anticipated program. So, you know, over the next couple of weeks, it will be very telling to see what the ratings are and what the breakdown of the uh, of the viewership will be. But, well, you know, it was highly heard, anticipated. One of the things I've heard already is, and this is in reference to the protest march and things that are going on with the hashtag I can't breathe, uh, hashtag uh, hands up, don't shoot, is that black people are sending out different messages and that on one side the police are saying this is their view of black people and they feel like they're coming that they're coming under attack because of what their perspective is and black people are saying no that is not who we are how they see us that's a false uh, misrepresentation of who we are but then when you look at the fact that we have sorority sisters on uh, I think that's what it's called on television yes sorority sisters on VH1 Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned the show, the movie Hustle and Flow, that mm-hmm. seems to be popular. Uh, we of course have the Housewives Academy Award winning. They want uh, Three Six Mafia, who you know any Three Six Mafia fans that are listening. Come on, we never thought Juicy J would get an Oscar. That that was the furthest thing from our minds. But he has an Oscar, and you know it is what it is. See, I don't even. I don't even know who he or she is, but you know, <laughs> we. But 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 really, when we get down to it, because what we're talking about is perception. Is what is a person's perception? Now, there's there's limited control of a person's perception. A lot of it has to do with their environment, their home bringing, upbringing, et cetera, et cetera. But we have a role to play in that too, and what the some of the comments were is this is how we see you and this is how we believe you to be on the other side we're saying no we're not that way but when you look at what we consume you know they used to say you are what you eat well nowadays they could say you are what you watch huh I, for me this is two this you know it, it's several sides to this for me personally, I'm just at my limit. I'm I'm just at my line in the sand. Uh, many of you 
of of the listeners know that I am an advocate of reality TV. I even see the the point of view of the young ladies that have come under fire with uh with being taking part in sorority sisters. My my um opinion on that is that the same sorority sisters that are suspending their members for taking part in this show and um you know some of the other reality some some of the other shows in the reality drama uh, in the reality genre are you know watching reality TV themselves um so I just am at my personal line. I, I'm I'm at my line. I'm at the okay. If you want better then you're gonna have to ask for better and you gotta you gotta stop consuming some of the other stuff, even though, you know, you've been an advocate for it. So I j well, I'm just at my personal line. So when we talk about that, because you just actually you again you hit on something very important. Because some people would say uh, that it's some conspiracy that they would produce these shows. Maybe there is, maybe there is not, that I don't know. But I believe that people tend to produce what makes money, what brings viewers. And if these types of shows, whatever they are, bring about viewers, then there's somebody out there that wants to make money that's going to, hey, this works, so this is what I'm going to do. It's the formula. Very much of what we saw with with rap music and and its uh, decline into something. Here's the thing, that though, Rodney. Very positive to something that is some people say very negative. What's that answer? Here's the thing, though. Uh, only the it's only the African American community that gets uh, pigeonholed as actually being like this. You have. Majority population that does shock rock, that does all sorts of, uh, produces all short sorts of shocking images, uh, whether it's blow up everything type movies, uh, or, you know, really harsh lyrics in, in their rock music or even their rap music or what have you, whatever, whatever. There's, uh, media being produced on the other side that is not pigeonholing a whole group of individuals to being just like what those images are depicting or that that what that music is depicting. We are the only group that is being steered and viewed through this skewed lens. Okay, so I would say to that that we are not the people in power. We are not the ones that make decisions on what happens to us. It's the people that's in power, and oftentimes the people in power uses these images that they see because this is what also impacts and influences them to justify the decisions that they make. And so, for example, in Oklahoma, they're discussing whether or not to outlaw hoodies. Hoodies. 
Now, they say that that's an attempt to keep people from concealing their faces. But right. we know, we know hoodies are Trayvon associated was with not concealing his face. He was trying to not get wet in the rain. Simple as that. Yes, it is that simple from, from our perspective. <laughs> but again, it is not us who are sentencing our children to jail time or Absolutely. to an instant death sentence on the perception. So if Those we're are saying it. if we're saying that these perceptions are false, but yet we are the purveyors in some instances and perpetuate these what we call false images if and if we are also accepting them by sharing our eyeballs, which brings about ad dollars, which brings about more of it, then is there some role that we play in this false perception? It's killing us. The the hands up, don't shoot, uh, the hashtag I can't breathe is all about black people, African-American men whose lives are considered less than or whose just the fact that they are black is somehow threatening, menacing, or in the words of George Zimmerman, up to no good because he has a hoodie on. I actually had um, several uh, associates of mine, friends of mine, call me this week uh, in response to Empire, and they're not African American, but they wanted my, you know, they wanted to know what I thought of the show, and for me, it's neither here nor there. These images are out there, and it's not just us consuming it, but it is uh, a big consequence, which you were speaking to a moment ago, for our community in having so much of this type of image out there about us. And for a lot of folks who don't have any personal experience with with us, that's all they have to go on. And they they that's all they have to go on. So you know, I took that into consideration in viewing some of the programming, uh, choosing to view some of the programming and give my thoughts on some of the programming that I, I view for work. Uh, some stuff I was viewing for pleasure, but a lot of time, a lot of the stuff I consume, I, I consume for work. But um, we have to consider that this is far more dangerous for our community than it is for any other community. As I said before, others can create images and music that is, you know, depicting devil worshiping and all sorts of stuff, drug dealing, mafioso type of uh, lifestyle. But for us, it clearly is being taken to heart that we are like these images that are being sang about. We are like these images that are on our screens. Um, so we have to be um, more vigilant, as usual. 
So I, I guess that was my thing with the show uh, is what is it? What is it perpetuating? And how does it impact? Maybe black people can see it as oh, it's just entertaining. I don't know if I you see it as just entertaining because you know when you hear a young person, what and it doesn't make any difference what race or nationality, but specifically a young black person that we know struggle in school. But when you hear them able to rap a whole song with every word, including the graphic part, over and over again. I cannot help but wonder what is it doing to that young person's psyche to say those words over and over again. Is it imprinting that young person with a certain mindset? Are we teaching our young boys especially to be misogynist and have certain negative feelings towards our women? And then what imagery, what messages are we sending to our young girls if the lyrics talk about them in disparaging ways or really brings them down to just body parts and actions associated with those body parts, what message does the imagery of seeing on the videos of, for the most part, a woman's body parts uh, just in front of the camera? Right. Maybe adults can deal with that, but how does that imprint on our children And then when you Again when you take that to the majority population And the reason why I keep mentioning that Because they are the ones In a position of power They are the ones who make decisions Of how we live our lives Every day When they see that How does it imprint on them Or reinforce The false But negative stereotypes And images that they have of us as a group of people Some people say well it's not fair That we should all be stereotyped Or generalized because of this That the other I don't disagree with that But what I do say is let's get into reality And that is the reality Is that is what's done Do we just Play along with it Or do we rebel against it Do we look for what's Wait. best for us well, you know, it's interesting you bring this up because Kendrick Lamar is in a bit of, he's a popular rapper for those who don't know. Uh, Kendrick Lamar is in a bit of hot water. He's a popular rap, rapper out of Compton, California. Uh, had an acclaimed first album, uh, 2013, really big 2014. Uh, but he's on his second album now. And uh, he was he's in hot water right now uh, for his comments surrounding uh, the Ferguson uh, hands-up-don't-shoot situation, and he was talking about personal responsibility. And um, so I, I I think that there are, there there is a, a movement at this point that is starting to connect the, the dots of how can we, use our platform media in a more productive and um, empowering way. Um, there have been, you know, several rappers that have spoken up about, you know, the hands up, don't shoot, and young black men taking more of uh, personal responsibility to carry themselves 
a little differently. A lot differently. So for those of you who may have seen Empire, would love for you to chime in here on the show. You can give us a call if you would like to jump into the conversation, uh, because we would love to hear from you. 347-826-9600, 347-826-9600. We'd love to hear what you have to say. You're listening to Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live comes to you every Saturday at 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast. 3.30 out east. And today's topic is NAACP Under Attack, Selma hmm. and Today's Marches, Empire, and the Las Vegas Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Candlelight Vigil. Uh, Angie and I just chopped it up a little bit about CES, the Consumer Electronics Show that was here in Las Vegas this week, and then we moved on to Empire and sort of talked about how, how does that play into the overall social consciousness today in when we have the things like hashtag hands up, don't shoot, hashtag I can't breathe, police officers shooting black people, the perceptions of black people by black people, and the perceptions of black people by others. And how does this particular show play into that at all? Because some people say it's just entertainment. Is it just entertainment? And how does entertainment impact our society? Of course, those long-term listeners of the show know that Andrew and I often have the discussion, is life imitating art or is art imitating life? which one pushes the other, or is it a symbiotic relationship? Maybe it is one doing the other today, but tomorrow it will be in reverse. So 347-826-9600, 347-826-9600, would love to hear what you have, have to say about that. You can. I'm also uh, texting it and uh, discussing it on Facebook at the Our Own Voices Live Facebook page, and that is it, Our Own Voices Live. You can go there and and hopefully you can get some of the uh, uh, the comments and you can share them there. Uh, we actually have a caller uh, here in Las Vegas. Let's uh, bring them on and see what they have to say about our topic today. Good afternoon. You are on Our Own Voices Live. Thank you so much for calling. Did you have a question or comment? Welcome to but the as show. Always, ah, as always, Diane, thank you, Angela. I appreciate your critical analysis of, uh, you know, the industry, as they would call it, you know, the farms. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where there's not enough folks at decision-making levels in any particular department to have an impact and to have that realization of what it would take to make that happen, I think you got to kind of be on the inside. So everybody says, oh, we could do this, we could do that. Nah, mm-hmm. yes, you can't. You can't. <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you can't because you see the the way we are. And I'll, I'll, I don't know I know how business is and access its own best interest. But see how we are. We gravitate towards empire. Let's just use that. And empire is becoming the backlash, if you will, of black-ish. Mm. Because that's the way it's actually started. If they give us something good, theoretically good, I'm not saying black-ish is the answer to everything, because the guy is nothing but successful people's story about how their kids lost consciousness. I know those Negroes. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> but thank God they, they got enough of them in the same room to get it done. And if you look at all of the people who were executive producers, co-producers, you see it took a lot of heads to get that done. And some of the names up there are really big. But as you see, they gave us blackish. Oh, celebrate the celebrate of the Negro coming of age. Now let's go right back. We got good times because 
oh, my God, it's, the show is great because of the music. I ain't going to take that away. And it's going to last, and that's that. Black is probably not going to last because there is no music. So, see, at the same time we got something, you know, we're losing something. Because I don't know, I enjoy blackish. I do. But it is not telling the story of less than 6% of black America, which are black people who became successful. And as I said, their kids lost consciousness. So how do they redo, how do they, how do they get that? So it's a good story. It's an American story. It's not even a black story. Same thing happens in the Hispanic community. Same thing happens in the Asian community. Asian community, absolutely. And, Everybody and, fights and, this struggle. Right. So, but they don't have empires behind <laughs> it. We got empire there. And I mean, the acting is great. You know, the, the ladies over the top is what we want to see. It's the mix of reality TV and music. And it's probably going to last because that's what actually Fox started out on. If we look back on Fox was uh, Jamie okay. and Fox show. Fox was Absolutely. built on Martin. Fox was built on In Living Color. Fox was built on Living Single. New York Undercover. Remember New oh, York Undercover? It's the same on, formula. And I was always mad because, you know, every time they had iced tea or a big drug dealer mm-hmm. and they showed the building they lived in in Harlem, and St. Nicholas mm-hmm. come to me, he was that's where I live. <laughs> I was like, eh. uh-huh. We used to laugh in the elevator. You mean drug dealers moving today? You know, so. <laughs> but that's what they did, and that's how they built their fortune. And it's you know and that's what they're going to go back to because now they're going to have a lot more leeway because of the the, the way race is now so they can make it even more racist and that's even what we see with empire. Those images well, my are question even... was yesterday uh, uh, to your point, what you know this is the the foundation of Fox and they spent a lot of money and and a lot of effort to get rid of the original black viewing audience that they that they had a pretty strong mm-hmm. hold on in the nineties. What what is Rupert Murdoch trying to acquire that he need you know with this with these advertising dollars that he's raking in uh, that he's you know he he campaigned pretty strongly for uh, black viewership for this show this is a a heavily advertised show and like you said it probably will be successful based on the record breaking um, mm-hmm. premiere twelve million people sure. plus right. Right, that's that's oh. a football audience. <laughs> yeah, you know, those are football. So that's a lot of money. But and you know, what, on what a night think? that a big award show was on, the People's Choice Awards, which always does great numbers, they they really uh, took a lot of viewership that evening, considering what else was on. Yeah, and we're not even talking about the marketing and the merchandising and the stuff that goes on behind the scenes that for that show, which is only right. good because I guess maybe some black people, because I looked at the writers and. Then I called my friend, and I asked her how many uh, of them were black. She said she wasn't at liberty to disclose, but she said that mm-hmm. means nothing nowadays. She means, okay, this is, you know, in as much as you know what white people are doing now? Mm-hmm. They're forming writing groups, and they take five or six white writers, and they're sitting in their room, eat pizza and drink, and then when their script comes out, that there's a treatment comes out that they're sending to Hollywood, the name right. of it is Raheem Abdul Muhammad Muhammad, and they give it a black name, and they give it a pseudonym. <laughs> And it, because, wow. they, because it doesn't have to be an individual, it has to be a company that the company writes a check to. So even though you may see Tanisha Wilkins up there, Tanisha Wilkins is Could be a, Amy, uh, in, in, exactly, a company, exactly. not a person. Correct. Uh, not Ooh, a person. That's cold right there. So that's we don't even know. That's the, see, and that's the thing. That's being on the inside. You know, we know. Now, I'm not saying that that's a fact, but that's what I've heard from writers inside who are African-American. So if you mm-hmm. look up those names, they're not African-American names, although they're forming a group around that and then labeling it as such and put that's what goes out on the script. Much like most people didn't know who uh, Zane is. 
the writer Absolutely. from uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades of Grey. Right, it's a, it's a black woman. Well, no, it's Fifty Shades of Grey wasn't written by Zane. Uh, I'm sorry, that's a voice. I'm mixing up stories, but these stories. Well, Zane, is, Zane does have a, a huge television audience that enjoys her 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 uh, writings on Showtime, and she's written, she's sold millions and millions of books, so you're absolutely right. Lots of people don't realize that she's a woman, number one, and she's a black woman, number two. And wait till the movie comes out. Ain't no black people in it. I mean, they're going to portray the black people as the sexual idols in it. But, I mean, it's what goes on. But, you know, what can you do? I mean, the kids are going to watch it. The only thing we can try to do is touch, say, maybe the entertainers that are involved are getting paid and they have to put back and put back into the community. Because we're seeing the same thing now also with Selma and uh, as opposed to when 12 Years a Slave came out. We do it to ourselves. Black people did not want to see 12 Years a Slave. They didn't. They actually thought, I ain't going to see nobody get with. But they'll run and go see Selma. What is the difference? It's the same story. But we won't we want to see suffering. We've assimilated into this good time culture. So wow. the difference is now when you look at Selma, even when you say most of the people who were around, they don't they want to they they are given a director who has license to do whatever they want to do because when they make a movie like Moses and call it Exodus and don't even put a black person in, nobody complains. But when a black person makes a movie about a black person from the black perspective and says, Well, Johnson wasn't our best friend, oh white people come out the woodwork throwing, that's not true. That's not true. He did what he could. He did what he could. He, he helped. And, and, and it, it mars it in the larger picture because then some white people won't go see it because they won't believe it's factual. And with the Academy, the business that it is, uh, it knocks away when you have these other movies like Sniper that's out there. White dudes killing people go get Academy Award. Come on. That's Moses Regentified. We've seen that. But, you know, it, it happens. Franklin, uh, thank you so much for calling in, and I appreciate you for al- allowing me on your show, uh, Like It Is Radio on KCEP Power 88, uh, yesterday morning. I, I do want to know, though, what role and responsibility do black people have in watching these shows, uh, shows like, uh, well, Empire? How, how are we sort of buying into a trap that's uncovered right and right before? Hmm. Well, look at it this way. We took Amos and Andy off the air, black people, the NAACP. And for its time, knowing people who were working, it was very important to them because they needed not just the blacks on the screen, they needed a black catering company. And because of the way segregation was, they had their own set and everything was done in black hands in Hollywood. Black people lost out, maybe, because they took Amos and Andy. Even though the images were terrible, we lost work. So if we don't watch these shows, if we don't support these movies, Hollywood, encompassing all that it is, won't service us with anything. And we've seen the blight. The blight is in Friends. The blight is in Seinfeld. When they can make those movies, the blight is in the the comedies that, that, that black people are not in or television that black people are not in. And so, film. When when Denzel can be number twenty seven, uh, the Equalizer was number twenty seven on the list of you know pro, you know great money making mm-hmm. films of two thousand fourteen, out of six hundred and fourteen, and still producers can would send uh, emails to the head of Sony saying that he should not be cast as a lead in such 
and uh, in, in such an important to the bottom line of the company film, it was made for $55 million. Right. And it made, and it made $190 million <laughs> just in box office. We're not talking receipts on us hitting rent on um, on the in-demand button or getting it, right. you know, however we consume it uh, in our homes now. That's not those receipts. Those are the global box office receipts. Okay, but, but listen, you see that I, I, I was wanna... trying to replace him too. In as much as that movie made that much, you know how much mm-hmm. Taken is going to make? When they have a white dude doing it, we can't have a black dude being as good as our man putting a screwdriver in somebody's ear. And that's what happens. <laughs> Denzel captures a different demographic of that market. Because look at they all try, even the, what's the pretty boy that was in uh, Born Ultimatum? They want their killers to make the most amount of money. They don't want Denzel taking any of that market shit. They don't want, um, what's just the other one, Wesley Snipes, and they don't want the. Um, the other mean to Sergeant Rock, Samuel Jackson. They, they don't, those are the roles that white people on the way out get to kill people and make money. Because Denzel did it and got in the academy. We got to stop that. Well, Franklin, I, I do want to go back to this to this thing about us though and movies and imagery. And what I was telling Angela, and you know, yesterday at the discussion at the gathering, we had some that says that actually the people on my side of the table, I think, <laughs> but it was some that says. <laughs> It's just entertainment, and can't we just look it's at It's art, it's just entertainment, and I used to be on that value. side of the argument. Absolutely. And then, of course, you had the other side of the table, which happened to be Angela's side of the table. Things kind of did a 180. But on Angela's side of the table, <laughs> said, wait a minute. No, this right here is showing black people at their worst. In every stereo, negative stereotype of black people, this particular show hits on. As a matter of fact, as someone who put out a meme said, black people show checklists, ratchet women, drug abuse, violent men, uh, violent uh, heterosexual men, homophobic, uh, children out of control, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, equal, successful show. Is that really the formula for black people to have a successful show? Mm, that's a good one. That's a good one. Because uh, even when, then when we get too successful, we don't watch it. You know, it's just it's 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 hard trying to figure black people. That I know. <laughs> so Hollywood, Hollywood can't do it if we can't do it. You know what I mean? Because if there was such a mode of success. Wouldn't they stay on that bandwagon for a while? And we had that well, with the, the first Well, the fact that we're doing, uh, frankly, do you, do you, uh, for me, the fact that we're in 2015 and they're rolling out the same old storyline from New Jack City. When did New Jack yeah. City come out? In the 90s, early 90s. And it's mm-hmm. 2015 and we're still, you know, oh, yes. Drug dealing is fine, and you can throw it into the music business. We're still selling that narrative, um, and then you can be super clean and super successful and continue your reign of whatever. But this is a new. They, they did the same thing on um, the Showtime or Stars, where they had a, a, a show similar to Empire, except the guy was a nightclub. Power. Owner. 
you're, you're speaking of power. Right. But that brother was too pretty to be held down. He's on national TV right now. I ain't mad at him. He's a pretty dude. <laughs> he can act. He's better than Shamar. Shamar is pretty, but he can act. This dude can act. <laughs> so he has a career, you know. And I appreciate that, but it's the same storyline with all of the networks because that's cable, and then you see it on TV. It's the same it's, it's the same storyline. And, you know, they don't want to create any more good, like even how they look at how they're doing our girl there on Scandal. Oh, they loved it, they loved it, they loved it. She got married and pregnant, and now they're like, oh, we got to change the storyline. We're going to make a white woman come on up. It only lasts for a minute, even when you're successful and black. I guess ask Obama. They used to love him. Now they hate him. Look at Cosby. So, they used to love me. Now they hate me. But so, so Franklin, again, let's go back into our responsibility, though. I was on some Facebook pages, and one of the things I suggested to the people, I said, well, if you don't like these types of shows, and if you feel that it gives a false representation of black people, uh, especially in a time when we hear police officers reference some of the characteristics that are portrayed in these shows as justification on why they right. kill black people, mm-hmm. then, one, shouldn't our responsibility, or at least shouldn't we think about not watching these shows, number one, uh, not going to those movies, that we don't like, number two. Uh, Angela often tells me how black people are the ones who kind of do a lot to keep the movie business afloat because we go watch all of the movies. Well, if we take that dollar out of it, you know, we talk about protesting this and boycotting that. Well, it's simple to change the channel or not go to the theater to see something that we think is derogatory or perpetuating myths about us. So don't we have a role to play? And then finally I, I, I told him, I said, well, if we don't like this, then why don't we produce our own that we say is something that we want to see? So if we want to see the black intellectual, then why don't we produce the black intellectual movie? Because it doesn't make money. It doesn't make money. Right? Look at that. They put out, on the same day they put out um, um, Malcolm X, they put out Action Jackson. Remember that? With uh, Carl Weathers. He was a superhero kind of guy. If they allow us to have a good and a bad, there's only one way in Hollywood. But they'll still make those young bang-out white movies like they do on Adam Sandler every year because they make money. That's all it's about. It's about money. It's not about telling a story, and there's probably not enough of us out there to support the good stories. Look at 12 Years a Slave. They didn't make as much as a lot of those whacker movies. You know, I'm, best, I'm willing to bet Hustle and Flow, after the Academy, made more than after the Academy, because they knew the content. They don't want that content. They really don't. It's a small segment. You know how those Jewish documentaries get made? After, or watch TV or see how many Jewish names fall up there. The Rabinowitz Foundation, the This Foundation, Paul, and then it even has single names, Gertrude so-and-so. It, it's by the individual. It's made for a small demographic. That's, that's what we got to look at. And since we're that small demographic that doesn't support its own small demographic, it's really not possible to stay liquid, so to speak. You know, look, I'm just, it's just the way it is. Because we see the same thing now, right? The parade is coming up. All kind of folk, a parade for Dr. King. All kind of folk going to be out there. They're trying to make it now into a holiday to sell. To sell. They're trying to drive everybody over to Macy's. You watch. You've seen it. We In our lifetime. They're driving over by our own. Once we accept it, which our community is now doing, by having a fanfare with it, they'll say, okay, well, if they're going to sell, I'm going to put this picture right here, and I'm going to everybody go up. 
Vegas markets, you know, Dr. King Holiday. It's just the way it is. But is that wrong? I mean, I believe it is because they're going to have a parade with little girls dancing up and down and shaking their booty. They're going to have the police out there. They're going to have a tank out there. The, the president of MGM, Mirage, whatever, is going to be on a nice big float waving with my, my black employees that I won't let run my shop. But 25, 30 years ago, well, actually, well, 60 years ago, Dr. King was staying in your hotel. So are we wrong to have a parade? Shouldn't it just be a silent march? Like in France, they killed that guy, those, those reporters, journeyman, the uh, cartoonists. There's no singing. There's no dancing. Just people standing around. Just the mass mobilization of and bodies. That goes back into what role do we play? Do we just kind of go along as we're being pulled along or as we're being blown in the wind? But, but hold on to that. Let that marinate for a moment because we have a caller. Uh, that is, if you have time, uh, we of have course, a caller course. from uh, uh, Michael from St. Paul, Minnesota. Boy, they're getting hammered with some ice storms and serious weather. Anything My else is cold. That remind me of North the North Pole. But he has a comment uh, about the Afrocentric from an Afrocentric perspective. Michael, welcome to our own voices live. Welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me. Um, it's a great show so far. It's first time listener, so. Really enjoyed you guys' uh, discussion, and I just wanted to say, uh, I've, growing up here, I'm 28, and I've seen, I, I can't believe how much of the whole Afrocentric thinking is just permeating our, like, the black culture, especially the younger people, to the point where everyone's acting as though they're still held back by racism, as if white people are still somehow over the top of them, holding them down. And all, all these mindsets. So I, I just wanted to see what you guys' thoughts were on on that issue. Okay, Angela, ladies first, then you, Franklin. Well, my thought on I, is your question. Well, my thought is racism isn't the first bit order of business right now. It's from my perspective. From my perspective, we had a internal house cleaning that we need to do and get in order and then we'll be able sure. to effectively tackle uh racism. Okay. Interesting perspective. Franklin I guess you're presupposing that racism is over by your question? Because uh, racism in the racism in the sense that it actually can hold you down or keep you from achieving whatever measure of success you're trying to get. I don't think that exists anymore. Hmm. I think that's well, gone. That's been gone for about 30 years now. Well, I would hate to tell you that. That Unfortunately, I, I have to disagree. Uh, I believe that if you're born economically disadvantaged based on your color, which is the way this country is, usually sep- separates us, okay. if you receive an inferior re- education from day one right. because of your color, because of where you live, because of the zip code mm. your family is in, that is racist. So you're, you're at the gate, you're not the same. So even if you went 30 years ago, I'm 54. At 54, I still had to take tests to get into schools at different levels in New York to become a Regents High School scholar. Many of my compatriots who lived in that environment were not afforded the same thing because of the skin color that we share. The reason mine made a difference is because of my parental upbringing, and they both had degrees. And they, they were forced to live in that economic community, but they were allowed to have their children flourish because of the economics that they had. 
So racism hmm. exists based on economics, sir, and it's still there. If you and I know that at the start of the gate you're getting less, by the time mm-hmm. you're in eighth grade you have more, in addition to hunger, drugs, and the things that plague economically disadvantaged neighborhoods, sir, I would, I would still infer it. That's racist. And you can't become who you are based on those impediments. I have great credit. I have a good education. I have a college degree. When an officer walks over to me, and I'm just saying officer, not even black or white, once he identifies my heritage, he will treat me as such. Until he sees, oh, this guy has a little something because he has better command of the language. If I have better command of the language, I can express myself better. That means I can qualify for more in the school. Mm -hmm. That means when I go for a job, I can express myself better. When I look at getting employed, which is my credit, allows me to make more money to move out of that neighborhood. You see what I'm saying? So racism is institutionalized. There are some who will make it because of the attitudes of their own lifestyle. Every ant has a chance to make it, but not every ant is the queen. So it's the same thing. There are certain systemic things that are in the parameters of life as humans we have that are impediments to us or assets. If your grandfather was somebody you probably will be. If your grandfather had an eighth-grade education, you Mm -hmm. probably can do better, but you won't be a college graduate for a few generations. That's not a black thing or a white thing. That's an American thing. Look at the Jews who came here or the Hispanics who do now. So racism is still flourishing amongst us. So, Michael, you've had a chance to hear uh, a a couple of people share their opinion. Now, take take a couple of minutes or, or less which is fine, to share your opinion. <laughs> no, I, I totally hear where they're both coming from. Um, I, I definitely think uh, I would agree with, with the first response. Um, I think she really nailed it as far as I think it's more of an in-house thing, and I think that what we have is, and, and the brother was right, I'm not disagreeing with him, but what I'm saying is when you give that excuse, when you give that crutch to people, and that's what's happening, the young people are now it's it's enabling them to be lazy, to give up. It's taking people's drive away, it's taking their incentive to want to push on and persevere and overcome whatever adversity is in front of them to try to go above it. Instead, they're saying, well, it's there, therefore I'm not going to even attempt it because I can't. And I see that happening all throughout the block, especially with people under the age of 25. That This mindset is all over the place. That's why so many young people are just giving up. They're not going to school they're not trying. They're not caring anymore they, because they don't think there's any hope. And and I, and I tell people all the time, anytime I meet young Afro-Americans, I say to them, can you tell me five major discoveries or innovations done by African-Americans in this country which revolutionized our country? Do you know any? Most of them have no clue. Like, well, Whose fault is that, though? Is, that, that, is that's, that the student's fault, or is that the educational system that's supposed to instill those disciplines in us? No, that's the as a people fault. I mean, the, the school system's not their role is not to educate you in that sense. That has to start at home with your family. That start at home. No, with no, no, your no, parents. no. Don't get me wrong. I understand it. It's a conjunction with your family, but at the same time, Abraham Lincoln's parents couldn't read, but he learned to read. So you see what I'm saying? In that, it's it's inherent in every individual. Everyone doesn't make it. It's to the own individual to desire to have that fruit, whatever that fruit is. Like you, you're young. What made you know five things? Somebody told you. It didn't come from the educational institution you received. Somebody took time to care to give it to you. But the masses of us weren't given that. So what happens is it's the victim. You can't blame the victim for not knowing how to use a computer 
if he's never been in school on how to use a calculator. You know what I'm saying? It's, but it's there is no so, victim. That's my point. Yeah. Is that's that's the issue? Is the concept of victimhood? Black people have a victim mentality. Not all, but a lot of them do. So I'm talking the older the older generations. I respect them. They don't because I, a lot of them know what it was like in the past. They know what real adversity was. What they really dealt with in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Not now. What they what they have now. There's no real adversity. It's just really most of it is just imaginary. It just has to do with your pride and your ego, and you're not willing to be humble and accept people's insults or whatever, and just not not take it to heart. But when we talk about have you ever worked Franklin, in corporate me, America? What, say that again? Franklin, Franklin, let me jump in. America. Okay. Franklin, let me let me jump in here. I want to want to get on something that um, uh, one of the topics that Michael just brought up, and I, I do believe that there's more that black people can do for themselves. I do believe that, and I'm not one to claim victimhood. I think that we should look and do the best that we can in whatever environment that we have. That's what our ancestors did. So that I'm tracking with you 100%. But there is a slight difference, though, when you're living in an environment in which you are seen as less than the people who are in control of your environment. So, for example, when Tamir Rice, who was a 12-year-old black child, was mm-hmm. in a playground across from his house playing with a toy gun. The police came up and shot him dead. Even with Mike Brown, who was no angel for sure, but at the same time, he was unarmed. And the description of him by the police was of an animal, demonically possessed, so forth and so on. When there was Trayvon Martin in Florida, it talked about his size and his strength, as if because he was a black person, he would, even though he was 16, he would somehow overpower a man that weighed about 100 pounds more than him. When we hear about Mr. Lavelle Jones in South Carolina, who was stopped by a trooper for an alleged seatbelt <laughs> violation, and the police officer told him to do something. He went about his business of doing what he was told, and the videotape is there for all to see, and the police officer started shooting him. When he put his hands up and was backing away from the police officer, the police officer continued to shoot him. And then we have Mr. Eric Garner in New York City, who was even telling the police that he could not breathe. And one of the things that a lot of these cases that ended up in death have in common is how they were treated as they were laying dying, and that was they received no CPR, no medical treatment. And then, of course, we have Mr. Uh, Jones, who was in the Walmart, also in Ohio, who happened to be holding a toy gun that they sold in the in that Walmart. And the police officers came in and didn't give him an opportunity and just shot him dead because of the perception that he is a threat because he's a black man. Well, racism, prejudice, biases, mm-hmm. so I, I just want to know from your perspective, those individuals, none of them 
had a chance to be viewed as anything else than as they were and then were sentenced to death because of it. Do you see that as being racism? Do you see that prejudice and biases had a part in that? Or do you think that Tamir Rice, uh, Mr. Jones uh, in South Carolina, all of these people played a part in their own death beyond racist racism and preconceived notions of those who killed them? Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, it's really sad and unfortunate what happened to those three young men. And, you know, obviously, uh, I don't think it's right to comment on people that have passed away or died in unfortunate circumstances. But on the overall issue when it comes to the police and this whole thing, to me, that's a minor issue at the best. It really is. And the reason I say that is we're talking about three murders, correct? In the sense, I mean, well, there's more. Getting major I I okay, just let's to say those. whatever number it may be at the most, if you want to be high by, let's say a couple hundred, maybe, right? That's and that's even a little more than it probably is. It's probably less than less than a hundred. What really matters is the number of black teens that are killing black teens. What really matters is what's going on in Chicago, and the number of people that are getting killed, the number of the drug abuse that's going on. These are the issues that black people need to be talking about. But because people are afraid to talk about the in-house problems, they focus on when white when white police officers do things that are perceived as racist, when they neglect the fact that police officers primarily in the cities are dealing with young black youth that are causing most of the crimes. I mean, I live in the inner city. I, I deal with it all the time. I have a business. We have all kinds of issues with people in this neighborhood. And it's mostly young black men between the ages of 14 and 24. Yeah, why? It's And it's on them. And no, what's no, no, amazed why? to me is African Americans are not saying anything about what's going on with their own problem. I mean, what the police are doing, that's minor compared to the number of black on black crime that's taking place. That's agree, the issue. But I never hear Sharpton, Jackson, you you, no leaders speak about it because they're no, afraid. No, no, no. They, they, do. they don't come out and make a scene because they know at the end of the yes, day most do. of them are afraid they of what's going on. They do speak about it. They do speak about it, and they, they have and they plenty of community correct. initiatives correct. to do things about it, to correct, correct it. Reverend Sharp, I'm from Harlem. Reverend Sharp and I used to go out and paint crack houses at 2 o'clock in the morning. I've been out on protest with this man when he was full, three, 400 pounds, so don't get me wrong. I'm in, the, I'm in the I'm, – I'm from Chicago, uh, and – the Nation of Islam has, uh, mm-hmm. members of the Nation of Islam have personally went out door-to-door uh, and walked those communities that are most highly, that are most affected by the black-on-black crime and shootings. Uh, Jesse Jackson and the Rainbow Push Coalition have several initiatives going on that have been received and uh, are being initiated in my city. It's a lot of black leadership on top of the black-on-black violence and black-on-black crime prevention. We're so all where, trying where, to do our part. The, I don't see any impact happening at all. And it's just, but now and I know uh, the source sure of it, that, uh, the Michael, source of it is, sure is what's being taught to, these, was taught to these young people. I know it because I talk to them on a daily basis. And the things that they, what they say is they continue to perpetuate the victim mentality. And they feel like, oh well, we got this. Hmm. And the CIA infiltrated our neighborhoods with drugs, and that's why our but neighborhoods that's true. are like this. Even but if they true. did do it, that doesn't make that's that doesn't true. Mean you that have doesn't to that drugs. doesn't that doesn't mean that we don't have 
uh, real issues. Those those things are true. Free Ray Ricky, saying, Ricky is real. The, I know it's real, but it doesn't cold. it doesn't give you the excuse to then perpetuate it. 30, 40, 50 years later and keep doing it? Why are you still selling drugs in your neighborhood when you know because what it's doing to people? I can tell you. No, no, it's easy. It's easy. Just like that. You know, didn't, you know who Al Capone was? He sold alcohol, which was a drug. Okay, you know who Joe Kennedy was? One of the biggest bootleggers in the world. So yeah, that's not my point. It's, it's just, no, so, I know that's not your point, but what I'm inferring it's coming from the same root. What I'm implying to you is those groups at the time that they used those means to gain access for money is because they were disenfranchised. The Italians were the, were, were shared the ghettos with us. Remember that? The Jews shared the ghettos with us, but they all got an opportunity to get out. But what did the, the Jews do? That's the thing I'm trying to say I'm for black you. people you know, is look at that. the Jews. Hold they're the, they're the example for us of how sure. to overcome the right way. They're not an example. No, they're an example they're of not? what happens when institutional, when you have acceptability with the institutions that provide business and educational oh, access to your community. That's just, brother, let me ask you something. Where did that acceptability come from? These white people, oh, for the most part, you, they you, hate the Jews just as no, much no, as let blacks. Me, let me ask you a question, though. My friend, you live next door to me. I, my brother tells me you want to borrow $10. Because I know my brother, I have faith in you. They give them an opportunity. And that's the only difference in my family, being a West Indian in a very British system. We Someone in my family was given an educational opportunity that took him to a level that far outcompared most white people in, in the Jamaica. My grandfather became a, an engineer at the hands of, yes, somebody who was running my family, so to speak, took him and his brother to England. They came back with education and were able to make money and make changes in the system that oppressed them. Someone educated them. My greatest influence, and I tell you in my life, is reading. I came from an oppressed My parents got divorced. My mom moved back into Harlem because that's where she taught. She didn't want to commute from out in the suburbs, and that made a difference. But the education that someone extends, the same way you say, you told those brothers five things about themselves, you asked why they want to rob and steal, because they didn't know those five things when they were given the door to have education, which is racist. Because no, they had the America door. They said no. They chose they said no. Because the, because it's not cool mm-hmm. to do that. They don't want to be looked at as it? that. How did you make it? I made it because, first and foremost, I got to read the Bible for myself. And I read the book of Proverbs where it says education. a diligent man will be will be successful in anything he but put his hands the, to. The gift of reading, it's still education when I'm trying to get you. Somebody it's gave a, it's you a mentality. It's a choice, man. I used to have the same mentality. If you're when not given the chance to read. I was, I was on the same boat they were. I had the same mentality. I was smoking, drinking, partying, doing everything they were doing, hanging out with the same mindset, 100%. But yeah. I came to a point where you got to grow up and mature as an individual and say, this is going to lead me to a certain destination. And if I want to be successful, what do I have to do to get there? And you have to seek it out. You have to seek wisdom. Wisdom doesn't okay, so come you, to you. Wisdom is you say you're you. a Christian. Okay, yeah. so you're a Christian, right? The, the yeah. Bible says it's out. Whosoever will. Everyone will not hear the word of God. But those who do will be rewarded with everlasting life. And I'm paraphrasing and using a little bit pulpit voice there. But I'm saying that's what Christianity is. That's what Buddhism is. That's what any, even Islam. Whosoever hears the call of God, what they perceive to be God, they may turn it to further in life if they believe that to be true. And they have to be given something to believe in. And you had the gift of education. You were able to read that. And I bring it back to the same point. If you educate all people the same because they pay into pretty much the same tax system, the American providence is to give you the right to read and write. And for generations, 
even today, that does not exist in many communities of color. That's not that's true, man. They have just oh. as much as they need, brother. Listen, <laughs> okay. in America right now, we're, we're in the top we're in the top ten percent of the world financially. I mean, the majority of the world lives off of two hundred dollars a year in income. That's the reality of the majority of the world, right? So first and foremost, this idea that you have a lack of resources or lack of means to achieve an education that's ridiculous. They have more than enough. They may not have as much as say some of the white communities out in the suburbs. I I totally agree. But you have more than enough to do it if you're willing to do, to actually work hard and discipline yourself. These kids don't know anything about a work ethic. They don't know anything about discipline. They don't know anything about cutting off distractions and having a single-minded focus to achieve it that's to achieve your thing, goal. Though. That's a youth thing. That's white kids too. You ain't never seen white kids going crazy in the mall. That's a discipline thing. That's not just a black thing. But I'm trying to express to you, without the educational knowledge to inspire somebody, you can read. I'm referring to you. If I pay taxes, it doesn't make a difference how big my house is. My American right, just like I referred to Abe Lincoln and all those other people, is to learn to read. And they don't provide that to everybody. So right there at the premise, at the thought. They don't pro- where, where do they not provide that, sir? I mean, oh, uh, it's called the website, the, 80, the 80916, because I live here yeah. in Las Vegas. And I pay big taxes. I live in a very nice area. Don't get me wrong. The high school down the block for me, yeah. Ooh, it's like my college. But the high school where my radio station is, oh, it's like my war zone. Okay, now ask yourself a question. Whose fault is it that it's a war zone? Uh, the people in charge? Because they the, people in charge. the people in charge yes. are making them act yes. that way. Yes. So you're telling me they, they, don't, they don't have enough books or no, teachers? They don't. They no, don't. They don't. So they don't have enough don't. to learn what's necessary. That is correct. And statistically proven here in Las Vegas. That's why my counterparts, I hope, are listening. They can that is ridiculous. No, no. That is so untrue. That's no, only no, no. true if you're comparing it to the it, to America only. If that Not was the case, America. then the rest of the world should be just completely illiterate because they it have is. far res- resources go way down once you leave America. That's but I, I've been to third world countries, the and there are people there that have master's degree living in dire poverty that have minds that are so – you couldn't even believe it. They have a work ethic and everything, but they just don't have opportunity. <clears throat> Here you have opportunity all over the place, but people well, don't I have don't the work so. ethic to achieve it. I mean so many – I know that I was waitlisted for Harvard. You know, when I, 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 was, I was a region scholar and thing, and I went for my interview and everything, and they sent me a letter. That back doesn't matter, that, brother. That happens all over the okay, world. Hold on, let me say something. But, There's but, nothing but wrong with that. You realize that, right? Let me, let you live in a white-dominated country. This is their I'm land. I'm going to say something to you, though. Let me okay. Say. But what I went to Williams, Duke, Morehouse, Purdue, you no know Morehouse said? It's free if you come here. It's free if you come here. So we give you a scholarship right now, sir. Your football team sucks. I don't want to come here. My father said, you're going here. It's free. <laughs> so that's where I went. So that's what I'm trying to tell you. But schools where I knew I was just as competitive, and don't get me wrong, I went, I did exchange, and I hung out with those guys who went to my friendship. And even now, I got family who's coming out of Harvard. I'm telling you, they still tell you they suffered up there because they weren't enough blacks, and they did. They knew smarter people at other schools. There's a systemic difference, my friend, and it doesn't make a difference. A school where I was waitlisted, another school offered me a full Brother, that comes with the territory. You live in a country that's almost 70% white. This is their country. You and me were minorities here, right? Everywhere else in the world you go, this is the same thing. And this is human behavior. For example, I'm an African by descent. I'm from um, naturally from Ethiopia. And if you go we're there, all Africans, brother. We're all but I'm African. saying in Ethiopia, right, which is a homogeneous race. All of us are black in that country. 
within that country you have separate ethnic groups. And you have one ethnic group, the Amharas, which put themselves right, okay. above everyone else. And they Ooh. subjugated their own people who were of a different ethnicity, even though they were the same race in the same country. So this is natural right. human behavior for groups to then want to be on top. This is, it doesn't matter if it's race. If if we didn't have a race issue here, they'd be doing it to themselves oh, based it, on it, what it, country it, they were from. Yeah, it's something. Yeah, it's right, You know, like you said, what what they did to the Italians and to the Jews, even though they have the same color, the same race, technically, because they're of different ethnicity, they still had a bias and a prejudice. You go, if mm-hmm. blacks were on top in America, let's just say hypothetically, if they were the rulers, right? And I recommend people read the book Zulu Heart, which is a great story about if Hannibal had defeated Roman, if Africans that had been on top instead of the Europeans. And he presented a world where Africans had colonized America and they had enslaved white people and white people were subservient to them. That would have been the exact same scenario because that's human nature. That's the problem with the hearts of people. People are naturally selfish, greedy, prideful, hateful, spiteful. That's a byproduct of that. Education is not going to fix that. That's to be a hard change and a change of your mindset that's going to deal with that issue. And that's, only and that's how they beat the Hannibal, right? Better. How did they beat Hannibal? When he took over, they spent time and they said, "What is our?" When Romans met each other, Romans said, "We must take Carthage back," and that became the mindset. Just like you said, they will. They they, they lost, and Hannibal was running around. But how did Hannibal lose? Time, you know how he lost, sir? He lost because his own people sold him out. Instead of having a unified mindset of, even if we have to suffer for this short term, it'll cause a greater benefit for our future and our children's future. Instead, they thought short-term, they took the money that the Romans gave them, and they sold out their people just to make some money, which is what's going on in the black community today. So many people are selling out their own people just so their own benefit. They can make a quick buck. They can gain a political whatever clout that they need to get on top, knowing that it's and it's causing this detriment that we're seeing. Today is the byproduct of 20 or 30 years of this negligent leadership that we've had that aren't willing to deal with the issues. At least. Aren't willing, aren't willing to actually get people to understand you have to suffer initially to gain any benefit in all aspects of life. you got to work hard and go through some amount of pain before you can achieve success. Well, gentlemen, well, gentlemen, you've had a robust conversation <laughs> from two totally different perspectives. And uh, just so you know, Angela had to leave the show because we're actually running long. Normally our show ends at 2, uh, but uh, you gentlemen were, were into it. And uh, so I wanted to give you guys a chance to kind of uh, share your, your thoughts and ideas, uh, something to contemplate on. Uh, I do want uh, another part of the conversation today that we didn't get to yet that we should have gotten to already was <laughs> we have these marches in Selma uh, that happened coming up on the 50th anniversary. And we right. have Selma, the movie, that came out, I believe, just uh, yesterday uh, with a limited release. And you were talking about how our folks uh, some decades ago were about doing it and didn't have a victimhood mentality. Well, we see pe- people today who are out there in the streets marching, protesting, doing sit-ins, reminiscent of the 60s and 50s, they're doing die-ins. So that does show that people are doing something and everybody isn't taking a victim-type mentality. Have any of you brothers seen the movie Tell Me yet? And what do you think about it? If you haven't seen it, what do you think about the history of Selma and how does it relate to today? Tell me to 
Yeah, so Brother want to go first? Go ahead. No, you go ahead. You got, you got it, man. You, you with it. Well, I mean, for me, what, what they did, the whole, back then, the whole civil rights movement from that era, the whole 50s and 60s, I think that was probably the most honorable, one of the things that people should look to, and, and that's what black people should be aspiring to, is what they had then. And those people understood the mentality of, yes, there's racism, yes, there's prejudice, yes, there's all these obstacles in front of us. How are we going to overcome it? By being excellent in everything we do, to the point that they can't say anything negative of us about us because we're doing everything great, doing everything right. And they use that, their character, to overcome it. So even if they came to us with violence, we're going to resist it with peacefulness. We're going to respond with dignity and honor and return to it. And even if they keep coming, we're going to keep doing the right thing to the point where their own conscience will be guilty and convicted that they have to make the necessary change to do what's right. Why do you think they, Martin Luther King and those people were making sure eat to let the dogs bite them and let them be seen on camera, to be hosed down? That's that's a humiliating experience for a person to go through. But they did it because they knew if they if they re- met evil with peaceful resistance and allowed it to be seen, eventually it would convict the minds of people all around the country, and that's what led to the change, right? Franklin? Well, I would say somewhere in there we could uh, probably back into the truth on an agreement because it was social activism and... As you're saying, making them feel something, the way they made them feel, they put the cameras and let white people see how other white people are treating folks. And exactly. Dr. King's envisionment of using the youth to bombard the system, which is through social activism because the disruption of commerce, because they had to send all those, all those police there and then fill the jail cells, it showed them they couldn't continue this way, much like in South Africa. So... The conflict that we see is something the youth should see because it is through their mobilization because they came to that same tax system, which is where Adam Clay Powell, one of my mentors, always got us stuff. If I pay the same taxes based on the percentage that you set up, I'll do the same stuff. And that's what happened. They were able to use the legislation on the inside of Adam Clay Powell after the activation and the murder and assassination of Malcolm X and Dr. King. And Malcolm X was the envisionment of what could happen if Selma became Washington, D.C. What would happen if it happened in New York or Detroit at that time, which was beginning to boom because of the economic structure of the car companies. So that fear of social activism, which is at the root of what happened, I believe, just like I said in South Africa when they showed 10,000 kids out there doing the majumbo, which is that dance they used to do from side to side. And yeah, you can beat this, you can shoot this, but how many bullets you got? Which takes us back to Gandhi, which is what Gandhi did with his people. He's like, you British are going to beat us every day? There's 10 million of us. And that's the same thing. So I'm hoping the movie will instill a new envisionment of, for lack of a better term, Al Sharpton activism, Jesse Jackson promotion and get people out there on the streets because when they see us in mass, and I'm getting not just black, just like in New York when you see with those protests with the cops and the same thing as in France. When you see masses of people standing together with no fan or nothing, better to just stand there. Just imagine what it would take to contain them. And that's the mindset that the government hopefully will adopt. And I'm sure just like in India and other places, there'll be some cops on the other side, even though they want to hit you with a stick, they really won't feel it. It'll be like Kent State for lack of a better term, when they see masses of people gathering together, 
They have to understand social activism. That was what they was afraid of with Jesus, the fact that he could gather this many people. So let's hope that this image of social activism or what was can be recreated with not just black people, with the masses of the people who feel, you know, whatever it is, outcast. So that's what I'm hoping it will develop, you know. Well, Franklin, Michael uh, from St. Paul dropped off the line. I hope that the brother calls back. And, Michael, if you can hear me, give us a call back because I'd, I'd like to hear your response to that. I have not seen the movie yet, but I do like the idea of the movie. I, I do see a parallel in what's going on with the uh, hashtag hands up, uh, don't shoot, uh, hashtag I can't breathe movement, is that we do see young people energized and going out there trying to do what they know how to do. Uh, Yesterday at the gathering, some of the young people who organized some of those local protests and marches here in Las Vegas came to the gathering. And maybe the part that was most inspirational wasn't just the fact that they were doing it, but they saw that there was a limitation in just marching in circles protesting. They said Hmm. they saw where they needed more, but they weren't quite sure how to get the more or who could help them get the more. So they came to the gathering with the question, we don't want this to just be us marching and then everybody go home until the next situation happens. We want to Hmm. do something that will bring about uh, systemic change very much in line with what happened during the 50s and 60s. Franklin, that was humbling for me, and it was also inspiring to me to hear these young people say that they wanted more and that they realized that they had limits. How could they expand their potential? Hmm. Well, it's in there, you just got to find it. So that was very powerful, and Franklin, as you know, every year, uh, Our Own Voices and some others, DJG, uh, we do the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. candlelight vigil right here in North Las Vegas at the corner of Cary and MLK at the Dr. King statue. Right. And one of the reasons for doing that sort of falls in line with what Brother Michael from St. Paul was saying was that I wanted to make sure didn't lose touch with the struggle. Because for folks like me who realized, oh, we were still very much in the struggle, it just wasn't sort of televised like it used to be. Now in today's You're doing the – it's on Wednesday, right? The 14th or the 15th? You're doing the 15th. No, it's actually on the 17th. It's always the Saturday before the parade. It's on the 17th Saturday at 5.30 p.m., at the Dr. King statue on MLK and Carrie. Now, this is a grassroots event, and it was actually the concept initially was a young lady came to me and says, Rodney, can you believe this is Dr. King's birthday? And we do have the parade, but that's downtown. We don't have anything going on in our community. Now, this was over five years ago. Right. And she, she asked me, can you help us do something? Can we at least have a candlelight vigil? She was the spark that sort of kicked me into action and led to us having, at that time, the first Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. candlelight vigil, at least in modern times, and then we've done it every year since then. 
and we're going to do it this year. Now, we don't get thousands of people to come out, though that would be nice. It is a grassroots event. Somebody uh, donates their DJ service. Somebody brings out some water. Some folks bring out some candles. Uh, somebody donates a podium. When, and it may not happen every year. It may not happen this year. We take what we get, and then we come around. We have speakers. We have some poets. Sometimes we have some singers, you know, the, the basic stuff. But these are people who give up their time and their talent to help continue the legacy of Dr. King and to remind our young people of it right in our community because everybody won't be able to go to the parade. So, no, well, you know, I would definitely say on uh, Wednesday, this this coming Wednesday, you know, when we do the breakdown, I would like you to <coughs> excuse me, call in. I will announce it, and then, you know, just call in still, and we'll get it home. And then what happens is on Friday for my show, I have a guest, but still, I'm a, I want to try to get you in at the end because that is the day you'll be doing it, right? I mean, you'll be doing those on a Saturday, right? That's Saturday, yes. Right, so, you know, we'll definitely have time. To, you know, get it together. You know, make get the dial reaching the people out there. So that actually tied into what Mike uh, Michael was saying about when he asked the the young people five things that blacks contributed to. Part of the reason for doing this as a reminder to, in our community that yes, we are somebody. Remember, Jesse Jackson used to say, "I am somebody." Mm-hmm. Uh, in the in the fifties and sixties, uh, during uh, I think it was one of the sixty seven, sixty eight. Uh, with the uh, sanitation work, uh, sanitation uh, workers, I am a man, and we are. We are human beings. Our lives do matter, and this is uh, this was our way of continuing that message, as you would say, that drumbeat, right in our community, produced by us. We don't have sponsors, so to speak. However good this event is, by whatever the community puts into it. And however good it will be next year will be whatever the community puts into it. We welcome everyone to come out, attend, participate. You know, we need somebody who can sing the national anthem. We need somebody who can sing the black anthem. Uh, I already have two poets that are going to come out and uh, give spoken word. The song that introduced this show, uh, the version of it, Lift Every Voice and Sing, Upbeat Tempo by Keisha Renee, tours with Nicki Minaj. She's the one Hmm. who her and her husband uh, Produced this version of Lift Every Voice, and it is on iTunes now, and it is selling. So big shouts out to Keisha Renee for giving her talent for our little event. Uh, not maybe little to some, but it's it's a big deal to me. So uh, our discussion today was we had wanted to cover uh, quite a bit of ground, and I think we did get through most of it. Is we wanted, you know what? We actually didn't get to one that that is very important as much as I would like to, and that's the NAACP that was bombed. It was a local Colorado office, and maybe mm-hmm. we'll uh, tackle that again uh, or really get to that next week because I wanted to talk about it because it dropped out of mass media. You know, they had the bombings that was going on in France, and I thought that as they were covering that big story, that international story, this was an opportunity for black media to do what we should do and tell our own story and not be dependent on others who we say are our oppressors to bring us the news that we should bring our own news 
why wait on someone else? And then this sort of goes to what Michael was saying. And then complain that someone else who we say is our oppressor is not doing for us when we know out the box that maybe they're not. What are we willing to do for us? So for those of you who may not have heard, there was a local NAACP office, I believe it was in Colorado Springs, Colorado Springs, Colorado, that was bombed. They did release a sketch of the alleged bomber. So then my question would be, as they talked about the bombings and the shootings in uh, France and in Australia, was this a form of terrorism? Was it domestic terrorism? And if it was, is it being treated like it is? I tell people, if you look at the definition of terrorism and terrorists, and then you plug in, in that definition, the Ku Klux Klan and what their mission was towards black people, would they be considered terrorists? Are they on the list of terrorist organizations? Are they treated terrorist groups? And if not, why not? What role do we have to play as citizens of this great country to have that looked into and reclassified? I also wanted to go back to something that Michael said about crime in the black community. I didn't get a chance to jump in earlier. And he mentioned how many black people were killing black people, and you and Angela both shared that there was plenty being done. It just may not get national news, you know, mass media attention. But I also wanted to share with him and for all of those who, who were listening that if you look at the percentage of white on white crime in white communities, it's roughly the same rate of black-on-black crime in black communities. And then if you did it with Asian communities and Latino, Hispanic communities, he was talking about human nature. That is the nature, is that crime is perpetuated against the people closest to you and who are very much like you. So I just want to make sure that as we look at that, that we're viewing it as as it is. Uh, I don't believe that we should accept the victimhood I do believe that there are powers at work that put roadblocks, impediments before us, add weight to our backpack so we're not on an equal playing field. But as a child of the 60s, I was taught, regardless, to be twice as good. Maybe that's something that we should bring back in our community, that regardless of what's happening to us, we should still strive and we should I don't see anything wrong with that. So, Franklin, uh, Angela's <laughs> gone. Mikey dropped off. All right. Off. Well, you have it's a great just, day, uh, sir. I will holler with you, you soon. You and I. Thank you so much for listening to us and for, for participating with, today, with us today and uh, for having me on your show yesterday morning. And I look forward to us collaborating on projects in the very near future. All right, son. You have a great day, man. All right. Take care, Franklin. Well, everyone, that's uh, pretty much uh, concludes our show today. You've been listening to Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live comes to you every Saturday at 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast. That's 3.30 p.m. for our East Coast listeners. Thank you so much to those listeners from the East Coast and also our Midwest listeners like Michael from St. Paul, 
Minnesota, up in the Great White North. Uh, Brother Thomas Ferry uh, also has a show based out of that uh, state, and it's called uh, Rant Radio. The brother brings it to you raw, which is just as valid as all perspectives. He comes on Mondays or Tuesdays, depending on what his schedule is. Look forward to show up on Facebook or on the Our Own Voices page. Of course, we have Brother Lee Vaughn that broadcasts Saturday morning at 11 a.m. on East Coast time on Real Radio, Radio Established to Address Life. And we have Angela Thomas, my co-host, here on Our Own Voices Live. She also has her own show, Needle on the Record, that comes on Thursdays at 5.30 p.m. on the West Coast. We will be back next week. Uh, today's show was the NAACP under attack, Selma and today's marches, a new TV drama, Empire, and Las Vegas Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. candlelight vigil. We also touched a little bit on CES, the Consumer Electronics Show that's here in Las Vegas and its gadgets. Please, let's continue this, the conversation on Our Own Voices Live on Facebook. You can also reach us Our Own Voices on Twitter. Pretty much if you just type in Our Own Voices, you will find us in most social media platforms. We would love to hear from you throughout the week until we meet again here next week at 3.30 p.m. on the East Coast and 12.30 p.m. out west. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a good week and take time to read a book and to read to someone else. Uh, I, we have one person in the chat room, Sarge. Uh, please go to the Our Own Voices Live uh, Facebook page, and let's continue the discussion from there. Sarge 60, he says, I really – well, I tell you what, we'll try to post that on the page. Until next week, everyone, have a good week. Bye-bye.